Today's reading is from 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as, you have, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we will know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one denies the Son and has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that, what, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. Good morning. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors on the team. It's so good to be together in this place for worship today. Um, we are in the midst of this series, Genuine Community, looking at the, uh, the book of First John and how it shapes and reshapes the ways in which we live out community as followers of Jesus. And so today, um, we're looking at a passage from First John chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at these two distinctions between Christ and the Antichrist. So um, this passage is one that, um, to be honest, as I was thinking about preaching this and, and working through it, um, it's one that I am a little nervous to, to, uh, to explore today. And I'm sure that if you've read it before, if you were listening, um, you would hear why. But I had Anna stop at verse 25, because I want to read verses 26 and 27 um, with you now. So hear these words from 1 John chapter 2, verse 26. It says, I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all these things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So basically what it's saying is watch out for false teachers uh, who try to lead you astray with counterfeit gospel and a counterfeit truth or a counterfeit depiction of God. And so I think it's good practice anytime we are together um, to, to be in prayer. But uh, would you join me especially as we dig into this text this morning? Lord, thank you for this day, this opportunity to be in this place together, um, to be worshiping you. And Lord, as we go into uh, this text this morning, may we hear from you. Lord, may our hearts be open to what you have for us today. And Lord, would you move amongst us and, and may we be moved to further your kingdom in the ways that you are calling us. God, so would you be present in this space? In the name of Jesus, amen. So this morning I want to share two different scenarios with you and um, I want to see how you would um, respond in this, these different circumstances. And so um, what I want to do, I want to give uh, just this little, story, uh, little picture. So imagine you like 13, 14 years old, 
and you just got your first $20 bill, okay? Um, I don't know, maybe you're a little younger, older, but you don't have a bank account. You just got your first $20 bill, okay? So um, you're going to go down, and I'm going to finally open up a bank account, and it's going to be the first time that I'm going to invest this 20 bucks. So you go in, you fill out the form, the cashier goes back into uh, the back room and says, okay, your $20 is deposited. Here is uh, the, the slip that says that you have $20 now in your account. Okay? That is scenario one, and you, for the first time, have this 20 bucks. Okay, so scenario number two. You're 13, 14 years old. You just got your $20, and you're going to go down to Chase Bank. Okay? So you walk in the door. You hand the, the $20 over for the deposit. You want to put that in the bank for the first time. So the cashier goes back into the back room, but this time comes back and says, I'm sorry, I can't cash this. This bill is counterfeit. How would the feelings that you would feel in scenario number two differ from the feelings that you would feel in scenario number one? Scenario number one, anybody else feeling pretty good, pretty accomplished, right? 20 bucks when you're 13, 14 years old, you're on the top of the world. Scenario number two You think this whole time you have this investment, you're taking it to the bank, you think that you own it, you think that it's something that is of you, and all of a sudden you receive this news that what you have in your hands is something that is counterfeit. Something that you think at one point was true and no longer has any true basis to it. This morning, I wanted to use this illustration to look at the ways in which our life as followers of Jesus is sometimes mirrored in these two different scenarios of what we think we have is truly what we do have, and and yet sometimes what we think we have ends up to be nothing at all, or even worse, counterfeit. And so um, this... Really where we're going today is simply this. Genuine community is built upon the everlasting love of Christ, but genuine community is constantly opposed by a counterfeit love. A counterfeit love. So how do we know that something is real? And how do we know that something is counterfeit? Okay, check out this recent survey. Um, Of um, the, let's see, Oh, excuse me, Uh, 0.25%, so less than 1% of the money that is currently in circulation is counterfeit. Okay, we're like, okay, that's not that much, right? But with $1.36 trillion of money in circulation worldwide, just simply U.S. dollars, that means as much as $3.4 billion could be counterfeit. Okay, so um, back in the mid-1800s, um, the Secret Service was created. Does anybody know that? Um, did anybody know the president that created the Secret Service? Abraham Lincoln, I don't know, fun fact on 4th of July. Um, Abraham Lincoln uh, created the Secret Service, but initially it was not to protect the president. That was not his intention. It was uh, intended to find and stop counterfeit currency from circulating around the country. And so at the time the Secret Service was established, an estimated 33 to 50% of all U.S. currency in circulation was counterfeit. Can you imagine that? Like, 
every one of two dollars was counterfeit. Just in the mid-1800s, in 1865 is when this began. But thanks to updated security features on U.S. currency, again, it's gone to 0.25, which still the percentage is way lower, but it's still mass amounts of money that is counterfeit. And so this morning, our text from 1 John warns us of a false love, a counterfeit love that is from the Antichrist. Hear these words from 1 John 2.18. It says, Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Um, okay, so uh, I want to play a, a quick little game with us. I'm, I'm youth pastor, right? Like games. I already see you. It's hot in here. It's summer, right? So we're going to play a game, okay? So I'm going to put either a number or a symbol or something up on the screen. And it has to do with um, this number or this symbol shows up all throughout Scripture. I want you to just determine uh, where this shows up. Okay, so um, for example, number, number three is already up there. But how, how does number three show up? Um, in Scripture, maybe you think of things like the Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, the the number three simply means holy or divine, right? That's like any time three shows up in Scripture, that is really what it's depicting. Okay, um, how about this one? Number seven. Think of ways where number seven shows up. I, we're already shouting out answers. Where where do you see that? Think about seven days of creation, right? Where um, God created in six days and then rests on the seventh, right? This symbol or this, uh, this cycle of seven shows up all throughout Scripture, simply just meaning completion or fullness or perfection. Okay, how about this one? Um, number 12. Can you think, of, when, when does 12 show up in Scripture? Twelve disciples, right? How about in the Old Testament? Does anybody think about that? Twelve tribes of Israel. Well, this is good. We should, like, do some trivia nights or something, right? Okay, so, um, so this number 12 shows up. You, you got them both. Twelve tribes of Israel, twelve disciples. There's other cycles or sets of 12, but it, it really just means, like, foundational or origin. Okay, those are, those are pretty easy ones. Um, how about this one? <gasps> wow, could you? How come all of a sudden it got all quiet, right? So 666, there's so many different cultural ties to this number 666. But it actually shows up in Scripture, in the book of Revelation. And it means deceptive or incomplete or counterfeit. Deceptive or incomplete or counterfeit. Okay, so hold on to to that number because we're actually going to go back to it a little bit later on. How about this one? What, what comes to mind when you hear this word apocalypse? It actually does show up um, in the book of Revelation, but uh, what comes to mind? Like anything that, that comes to mind when you hear the word apocalypse? Anytime I've asked this to students, it, I, I get answers like destruction or the end times or like some sort of like cataclysmic end of the world, right? That is maybe accurate in the ways that um, our culture has depicted apocalypse or the apocalypse, but the apocalypse simply just means a revealing. Uh, this summer, as students were going through a little uh, study on Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m., believe it or not, uh, it's amazing, students are actually showing up, but we're, look, we're walking through the book of Revelation, 
And we're looking at it through this, this lens of apocalypse, simply meaning revealing. Revealing that what we maybe couldn't see at first, that God is opening our eyes and seeing in a different way. Apocalypse. How about this word? How about this word? Antichrist. Again, not one that we're all like jumping to answer initially. Um, fun fact, again, did you know that uh, the word Antichrist, you'd think that like, what's the one book of the Bible that you think it would show up oftentimes in? Maybe the book of Revelation. Um, it actually doesn't ever get mentioned in the book of Revelation. The text that we're looking at today in 1 John is really where um, this word Antichrist shows up. And so, so often, uh, Antichrist represents evil or the end times or a new world government figure. Maybe the mark of the beast. Um, but in reality, the Antichrist is any entity that opposes that of Jesus. That Jesus is the Son of God. Attempts to distort and corrupt the love of God by establishing and carrying out a counterfeit love. The Antichrist is a counterfeit Christ. Imitating, close, but not genuine. Counterfeit. According to our text, the Antichrist, or any Antichrist, is one who denies that Jesus is the Son of God. Denying the very foundation of the love of God. And in doing so, attempts to provide a counterfeit love that initially it seems attractive, but at the end leaves us with feelings of shame or emptiness or despair. And so what does the Gospel of John say about the Antichrist? The words of John 10.10 says, The enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have life to the fullest, or life in abundance. Each of us long to experience and know that love of Jesus, really whether we recognize it or not. And, so, and yet so often we settle for false pictures or false depictions or counterfeit ideas of love, of an incomplete love that seems so attractive at the time and yet leaves us with those same feelings of emptiness. And so what does the Antichrist that shows up in our text today have to do with this? Verse 18 says, As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Did you see that distinction? Even, it says, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. One, singular. But then it says, even now many Antichrists have come or have already come. If you didn't know, the, the, the letter of 1 John was written in the late 1st century, around uh, 95 AD. And so the Antichrist is coming and has come, but who is the Antichrist? Throughout history, so many people have been labeled as the Antichrist. Maybe if you've been older um, or around a little bit longer than, than me, um, you would hear about different political figures uh, like previous par, uh, presidents that have been labeled the, the Antichrist, or uh, maybe popular um, pop culture figures, or um, even the Pope at certain times in our history has been labeled the Antichrist. Um, and really, Scripture says very little about the identity of 
the Antichrist. In fact, uh, the word Antichrist, again, doesn't even show up in the book of Revelation. Its most significant appearance is this passage in 1 John chapter 2. And so for us today, as we think about all the different images that come to our minds when we hear the word Antichrist, for us today, the Antichrist is that which embodies a counterfeit love, both now and in the age to come, individually and collectively. We're opposed, in opposition, with Antichrists daily. Our text this morning explores this this foundational, genuine community that, that John, in this writing this letter, wants us to experience, in which we find ourselves in. That genuine community is constantly, constantly opposed by a counterfeit love. Verse 19 in 1 John chapter 2 says this, They went from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So what is this counterfeit love? What is this, this picture of counterfeit love? In, in the times that this letter was written, there were kind of two things that were going around. Um, theologically, again, this is really early on where... The Bible, as we know it now, didn't yet exist. And the people of God, um, the followers of Jesus, were trying to figure out, like, how are we going to have some sort of, like, um, similar belief about who Jesus was? But there became two swirling controversies. And one was known as um, docetism. And docetism is something that uh, those people that believed this didn't affirm that Jesus in the flesh actually appeared. So can you imagine that? Like, Everything that this, this group of people believed was that, yet yeah, Jesus, everything that the stories were told about Jesus were true, but Jesus didn't actually show up and walk in the flesh on this earth. And there were a lot of different, um, really, Christians that were trying to figure out, okay, well, that is not what the disciples have said, and, and that's not what I believe. How is this orthodox, or how are we going to move forward? And another one was this whole picture of Gnosticism. Maybe you've heard this word Gnosticism. Um, Simply not affirming that Jesus is God. In so many different ways that Gnosticism played out in the first century. And yet, we get these pictures then, and we get these pictures now of this counterfeit gospel. I was, again, doing some research this week about... um, about just figuring out counterfeit money. And maybe you know this, uh, the, the process in which how counterfeit money is uh, discovered. The easiest, by far the easiest way, is to not go out and figure out all these different ways that people are producing counterfeit money. You could spend your whole life figuring out all these different processes to produce this counterfeit money. The process that is used is simply to study and to know the real money so well that when you come across one that is counterfeit or that just doesn't look right, you know right away because you know the real one so well. You've studied that $20 bill, you know every little part of it so well that when you come across the counterfeit, it's so easily discovered. And so a counterfeit love 
flows from a counterfeit gospel, something that seems like good news, but it's not. Identity and anything that supersedes our identity in Jesus, simply, um, simply in who God says we are. Another counterfeit love is being so consumed with being right at the cost of being loving and creating division. Maybe other ways in which counterfeit love shows up is the ways in which we, as a society, as a country, are so addicted to so many things. Our addictions are really products of this counterfeit love or this counterfeit gospel that we have grown to believe. And this counterfeit gospel of, of consumerism that especially us in our context that we swim in, where having, we each have way too much, and yet somehow it seems like it's never enough. All these counterfeit gospels, drawing us away from this true love, this true gospel, this whole body gospel. Over the past really 2,000 years as Christians, we've, we've struggled with embodying a whole body gospel. And, and one of the things that I've used with, with students sometimes is thinking about this whole gospel as different parts of, of our body. So we think about it with um, head, hands, and heart, right? And so sometimes we, we know the gospel really well. Is it anybody like, maybe for, the, for most of your life, you've known the gospel. You've known what it's meant to you. And yet, we know the right things, and, and sometimes there's this disconnect between what God has actually done in our hearts and in the ways that we live our lives. Or, or how about a, a counterfeit gospel that, that's just about the heart, that's just centered on yourself, that you received Christ maybe when you were younger or have made this decision to follow Jesus, and, and yet if you look at the fruit of your life, there really isn't too much to show from it that the Holy Spirit has worked in our lives in one season, and yet we're just not seeing that fruit in this season. Or how about the counterfeit gospel of, of just the gospel of our hands, being so willing and so eager to serve and to jump in and to pursue causes and truly to embody the gospel to pursue justice. And, and yet sometimes we, we forget that um, it is so easy to do and not remember that God, in the ways that Jesus has modeled love, came so that it is better to serve than to be served. The ways that we embody the gospel sometimes misses out, that we're just doing it in order to better ourselves or to further a cause, instead of seeing it being an integral part to the kingdom of God. So in the midst of counterfeit gospels, what witness do we have as the church? So today, today we celebrate freedom in this 255th year of our country, at least the U.S. Um, we celebrate freedom, I don't know, with a lot of different plans. Fireworks, barbecues, gatherings, parades, meals. Think about the plans that you have later on today. Okay, then now stop thinking about those and come back here today um, because we're almost done. But how, how, how do we celebrate the plans that we have for, for this type of freedom? What, what are your plans to celebrate that? 
Think about the ways in which so much good has come from the ways that we celebrate that type of freedom. But, but hear me say this today. This truly, today, this day that we celebrate, is a counterfeit celebration of freedom. There's so much good in who we are and who we're becoming as a family, as a, as a country, and yet this too is a counterfeit celebration of freedom. I know Pastor Nancy today is having a re- reverse parade. Like, what's better than that, right? Celebrating um, uh, the ways in which we can celebrate our freedoms. And I'm going to a barbecue. Um, it's a half vegan barbecue, probably, and I'm just fine with that because that's awesome. And uh, I'm very thankful for my family. Um, and yet, the ways in which we celebrate freedom today is something that is a counterfeit celebration of freedom. If we put our hope and trust and our confidence in the freedom that we celebrate today, it is an incomplete and quite honestly antithetical gospel of Jesus Christ. Freedom today means more power and authority and dominance and and true freedom. That's what we equate with true freedom. And so if you walk away today saying, well, forget this, um, Mark's not a patriot, um, he doesn't care about the U.S., this is, uh, this is blasphemy or whatever, um, you've missed the point completely. I love this country. I'm, I'm grateful, beyond grateful for everything that we each take for granted so often in living here. And yet, if we're not careful, we, each of us, will fall into believing a counterfeit gospel. That a flag that we fly is this true symbol of freedom. And it is. It is one that's so important. But as followers of Jesus, we live out a different narrative. A counter-narrative to this counterfeit gospel. That flags or, or even a Christian flag or any other type of flag isn't this greatest symbol or depiction of freedom. As followers of Jesus, we have an even greater symbol of freedom. And it's simply this invitation to come and to receive at the table. This table where we receive freely the gift of Jesus Christ is one in which we celebrate true and authentic freedom. This table is one that we proclaim that Jesus is Lord above all else and above all other allegiances in our lives. And so for us, as as we do go about our days and our celebrations today, may they be good, may they be joyful, may they be happy that, yes, we've come a long way as a country, and yes, we have a long way to go, and yet we're in this together. And How might we as Christians hold loosely to that symbol of freedom and receive fully this symbol of freedom at the table? This picture of the Antichrist that we get all throughout this passage today is 
is one that tries to lure or allure us away from encountering the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One that is depicted in this symbol of the table. And so as we consider ways in which each of us are in different places and different spaces in our lives now and how we see God at work in our lives and if we see God at work in our lives or where we see our relationship with Jesus right now. Each of us has the same invitation to freedom when we approach the table. To proclaim that Jesus is Lord, to lay aside all other allegiances that might try to fit above our allegiance to Jesus and know at the very end of it that what we receive from this table is the greatest gift of freedom that we could ever experience. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we come today um, wanting to receive from you, wanting to receive from you in ways that only you can provide. So Lord, search our hearts today. Search us in ways that we are so often distracted or taken away from this true gospel, this true freedom that we find in you. And so often live into these counterfeit narratives of a gospel. Lord, would you search our hearts, each of us today, and may we lay aside those and move to the table to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and that our true freedom is found in you. God, thank you for the ways in which you work and continue to work in each of our lives. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. At this time, we uh, are moving to the table, to this place and the space that is this ultimate symbol of freedom, where Jesus doesn't require anything of us aside from just coming and receiving this, this free gift of eternal life. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we come to this table to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was sitting with his disciples. And as he was sitting, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take eat in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the new covenant poured out for you. For as often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. And later Paul adds the words, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Friends, as we prepare to approach the table, we center ourselves on who he is, and we remember him. 
If you're at home online, I invite you in the next few moments to gather bread, cracker, juice. And if you have kids at home, a piece of fruit as a sign of God's love and blessing. And for us here, we have two stations, one on either side of the room, that you can come forward and receive the juice and the bread, you know, an individually sealed cup. We ask that you take those back to your seats, and in a few moments, once everyone has received, we'll take and receive together with our friends at home and here. And as always here, we have grapes available for any kids that don't yet receive communion, but are invited always to the family of God. Let us pray briefly. Father God, we're grateful that we can come together to this table that you invite us. Lord, we extend that invitation now. Amen. The tables are open. Come as you are ready. May we as followers of Jesus proclaim this symbol that we just received at the table, that Jesus is Lord. And so may you go into today and the rest of the week to proclaim just that, that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you.